interesting topics to kick off your weekend. Looking at the news with an eye of faith. This is Friendly Fire with Stu Kearns on the Voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. Good morning, Lincoln. This is Friendly Fire. Usually operated by Pastor Stu Kearns. Pastor Stu has taken a had taken a three week break, and this is the last of the three weeks that I said, Pastor, when you're gone, may I substitute for you on Friendly Fire because I find it so much fun. My name is Dan Alberts. Pastor Stu and I have been friends for years. He married our younger daughter. He was a pastor when when she got married. Um, so he's been a friendly a family friend for a long time, pastor of the Zion Presbyterian Church on South 27. So thank you, Pastor Stu, for letting me come, and Pastor Stu will be back with you next week. Friendly Fire, folks, is a, is really the focus of Friendly Fire, is how do we have, how do we discuss issues? Um, and in this day and time in ways where we can discuss them frankly and straightforward, um, and Pastor Stu's words, how can we be disagree how can we disagree without being disagreeable? Uh, which seems to be a harder and harder concept or a, a, an action for people to carry out. I'll give you a quick story before I introduce our guest. When I I, I noticed this uh, years ago, a few years ago, and I, I think one of the costs of it being this way. Years ago, I was the superintendent of a small school district uh, in Nebraska. I grew up in a small school, Hampton, Nebraska. Then I became a superintendent. Actually, I was their lawyer. And then I said, I don't think you can afford a full-time superintendent. They said, well, then why don't you do it part-time? I said, okay, I'll do that. So I did, but and I thought it would be an easy task because I watched what they were doing. And for the first few years, it was an easy task. We'd go to board meetings and our board members were you know, had a, we had the town manager, we had the, the, the head mechanic at the shop that had, they grew up in, both of these guys, had, I think all of these people grew up in this community. Had a couple farmers, and then we had a local a, a woman who, who worked in the town nearby, and she was highly successful. So these were the people, they were all friends of mine, we'd come have our meeting, a few people might show up once in a while, but we'd have a meeting for an hour. But over the course of the years, um, meetings changed. Uh, we'd have more people come, and they never seemed to come to be supportive of people who were on the board that didn't get paid a dime for doing it. Um, but they were there because they took issue with almost everything. So then the meetings become cantankerous. Um, we, we, we couldn't agree on anything. I always felt like as a superintendent, or as the person there who was just trying to keep their budgets and do things like that, I had no real value in the district other than I wanted to work for them and I liked the people, but I certainly didn't have any other, I didn't see myself having any other motives or I had any conspiracy in mind. But it seemed as if I was being treated over the course of time like I had some, that there had to be some other motive. No matter what I said or what the board members said, these people who had been in the community all their lives, all of a sudden it's felt like and it acted like everyone there felt that there was another motive so we'd say well we're going to add a teacher because we want to add this class oh what is it you want to slip in that would be the the response of people and that i remember our board president the first time saying what do you mean slip in 
Well, you must be trying to add some stuff on sex education, as an example. And I remember our board president saying, what, sex education? We don't, have, we don't do anything like that in our school. Do we, Mr. Alberts? And I said, well, no, not at that time. So, but, that, but the person didn't believe us. So, well, I'm sure that's why you're hiring this person. So anyway, this changed over the course of a decade. And, you know, and frankly, what happened after I'd been doing this part-time for a while and this all happened in the meetings instead of lasting an hour and a half where friendly people would get together, um, what happened was is that I said, look, I'm not going to come here anymore. I mean, every time I come, I get accused of things that I have really no idea what you're talking about, and I certainly don't think it's true. The pay isn't good enough to take this kind of abuse. So I said to the board, I think I will resign and go do something else. I could be a lawyer and not be disliked without this. Anyway, <laughs> so so anyway, I watched that change over a decade. And so, and then when I la watched this last legislative session, Nebraska legislature, which used to always, which I hope still is, is a bright light amongst the country. I thought, here's these 49 legislators, one house in Nebraska with the people being the second house. I thought, man, this is a place where things, people get along. They meet for 90 days, one session, 60 days the next, and they get the work done and they go home. They seem to have a good time together and do the people's business. Well, this session seemed much different. Uh, so but with all that said, I'm going to introduce a, my guest today, Senator Danielle Conrad. Senator, welcome. Thank you so much, Dan. It's great to be back on Friendly Fire and here as we're starting off the summer season and temperatures were hot in the legislature and they're going to get hotter this summer for all of our Nebraska neighbors. But always a pleasure to connect with you and your listeners and talk about the really important issues of the day. Thank you for being with us. Senator Conrad is not just my, or I, I actually are not my senator. We live across just the street barely. from each yes, other, but barely, the, but the right. street <laughs> it switches right on our street. Right. But you're a neighbor. Yes, I've known you for a long time. Yeah. We both went to the University of Nebraska Law, College of Law. Yes, that's right. You were much more esteemed. I looked at your butt. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a long, I don't have a long one under behind mine, but you do. So anyway, um, welcome. Thank you. Good and. You just went through a legislative session, and following the session, you did an interview with one of the best reporters in town, uh, and one that's iconic, and it was one of his last interviews, Don Walton. Yes, that's right. How, that was, was, how did you enjoy doing that? Well, it's always special to connect with somebody like Don Walton. I mean, he's written the first draft of Nebraska political history for literally decades, and so um, as a astute engaged citizen and a young politico, you know, I would always look forward to his columns and relish his work because I wanted to learn more about the nuances of state government. And I think he was both kind of revered and feared in political circles as um, not in, you know, an overly negative way, but knowing that he was going to be a professional and he was going to um, be unafraid to speak truth to power and report the news in a factual, unbiased way. So you always wanted to make sure you did your homework and and were on the, the tip of your toes when you were talking to somebody as, as sharp and as knowledgeable as Don Walton. So it was super cool to have a chance to work closely with him when I was in the legislature in my previous eight years of service because he was that, that constant um, presence at the state capitol 
stay connected on key issues that I've worked on in public life uh, during my interim period when I was term limited out and then to share this uh, most recent session together. So it was definitely very meaningful and special to me to, to be able to be one of his, his final interviews. Well, we're going to talk about that interview. I thought I found your some of your statements uh, incredibly interesting. Uh, some of them challenging, some of them a little scary, frankly, that this was a legislative session that most people could be the low. So we're going to discuss those further okay. because one of the things about Don Walton is over the years I've read him, um, he seems to sort of be iconic in the idea that I can disagree without being disagreeable. His articles, you always knew exactly what he meant, yes. but he seemed yes. to say it in such a gracious way. Yes, absolutely. A very, I think, kind of um, the best of the best when it comes to an old school political reporter. Yeah, Even-handed. I wish it wasn't old school. Yes, I agree. Now, Senator... You're you're the senator to the most Nebraskan, Senator Dan Daniel Conrad. You you before that you were the director of ACLU. Yes, that's right. Now tell me, with ACLU, we're going to go back to your family and all of that. But as director of ACLU, do you think that puts you in a box as it relates to Nebraska being a legislature for the people? You know, I don't think so. It was such um, an exciting opportunity to help build up a beloved civil rights organization when I was term limited out of the legislature. And it was such a great opportunity to stay actively involved in the Nebraska legislature because we took positions on literally hundreds of bills each session. Um, it was great to be able to dust off my law degree and help with some of the litigation. And one of my um, abiding passions is always doing community education and outreach, and they get to do um, all three of those strategies and work on so many cool issues from free speech to criminal justice reform to voting rights to everything in between. So uh, it was definitely an exciting time to help build that organization up over eight years. And I think overall, uh, what I like about their approach and what resonated, I think, in Nebraska political life as well, instead of being limiting or restrictive, was that, you know, we really take a principled position on the law and policy and try to put aside um, partisanship. And so, you know, one example that I frequently use is like in the free speech area, where we would fight just as hard for Husker players who wanted to take a knee as we would for students at Gretna who wanted to start a pro-life student group and who were being denied those opportunities. So recognizing that civil rights and civil liberties do not belong to one particular place on the political spectrum, I think really kind of helped to carry forward that kind of credible, principled approach. So overall, I, I it hasn't seemed to be... be detrimental in terms of my work or in terms of my outlook, but I think instead perhaps rather um, just another point in building the resume to show that I can take up controversial and complex issues in a thoughtful way, in a powerful and credible way without compromising um, on those core beliefs, but still trying to advance our shared ideals of justice and liberty and freedom. The reason I bring it up first, and I surely appreciate how your perspective is, is that I'd look at it and say the letters ACLU mm -hmm. without, for, for a number of people, sure. I don't know if it's a majority of people, immediately puts you in a, characterizes 
and it, there's a characterization sure. of it that I think maybe is unfair, but it's still true. Well, then I know who she is. Yeah. Or I know what her position is. I know she's far left. She was with the ACLU. That seems to be a, a theme that I consistently hear. How do you? How would you? Do you hear that theme? Do you think that theme's out there? Is it in the? Is it? Is it in our society? Sure. I think that you know it was. There were definitely some misconceptions about what the ACLU is and is not. I. It was interesting when I took over the leadership at that organization because I had never been a member. I had never been a donor. I had never been okay. involved in the ACLU, and then I became their director. Um, but I, of course, was familiar with their work and their special place in civil rights history, and then most notably was drawn to it as a civil rights attorney, of course, knowing those seminal cases from law school, whether it's you know, students' rights or building up a body around of work around the First Amendment um, or criminal justice reform. So that was always very interesting and compelling to me to see how they were able to utilize the law to advance civil rights and civil liberties. And I think, you know, most Americans and most Nebraskans, when they think about some of those really critical decisions in our judicial history that have shaped our lives. Even folks who disagree with the ACLU on a host of topics recognize the importance of that work. And so, you know, I also represent a progressive district in North Lincoln. And so that definitely helps to ensure that our values on key issues are aligned. But I think the other thing that's probably been beneficial in terms of my approach is that having been a public policy attorney for low-income working families before I joined the legislature, working as director of the Lincoln Parks Foundation when I was in the legislature, serving our state for eight years. Um, all of those different experiences, I think, have helped me to establish myself as a thoughtful, credible leader who will always keep an open mind, um, who tries to seek and forge consensus. And when that's not possible, I'm always going to be able to work my hardest to stay in relationship with folks, even if we have sincere, authentic disagreements. And so I think that that body of work illustrating my approach um, definitely provides maybe some curiosity to folks on the political spectrum or maybe some initial skepticism. But I think um, what they see is, you know, I'm out there doing the work. I'm really going deep into the policy. I'm really working hard to reach across the political spectrum and across the state. And I think people respect that, even if we, we do have an area of disagreement. I do think the other thing that people respect is that I'm really honest and candid about my positions. I don't try to, you know, kind of skate around and kind of hide the ball from voters about who I am or what I'm trying um, to accomplish in public life. And when you look at um, the key issues impacting our community in North Lincoln and so many of the other issues impacting our state as a whole, I know that the hot button divisive social issues grab a lot of attention in our social media feeds, in our newspaper headlines, and they take a lot of air out of the room. But what Nebraskans want us to focus on is they're really kitchen table issues. They're really family issues. They're really economic issues to make sure that somebody is looking out for them in the halls of power and going to be unafraid to stand up to very powerful interests. 
so that folks who are working hard get a fair shake. And I think when you look at my history, you know, successfully running a citizen initiative to increase the minimum wage, fighting for working families, um, that really helps to show people that we're not just singular in our approach, or I'm not just singular in our approach. And I'm never going to turn away a good idea, no matter what colleague it comes from and where they fall on the political spectrum. So um, I think it would be a detriment to my life and my work if I were to do that. And I think it's actually the most exciting and powerful and interesting when you find sometimes unlikely alliances in in political life. You're just listening to Senator Daniel Conrad, one of our 49 senators in Nebraska, re-elected to the Senate in 2022. Um, Senator, when we return, after that really articulate this expression, no, <laughs> truly amazing. an articulate expression of who you are and what you represent, what you just said, I say things clearly and who I am. We're going to return, and I'm going to ask you to help us understand, how did you get to this place? You were elected to the legislature at age 29. You've been identified as the 30, one of the 30 most influential women in Lincoln years ago. Quite an honor. You yeah. have, well, and you have a whole series. If you look up her resume, you'll find that there's a list of attributes that she has brought to the table. Um, and I want you to tell us when we return to Friendly Fire, how, how did you get here? I know you were born in Seward. Right. Tell and say, what, what got you here and why do you why did you return to the legislature? And we'll discuss that when we return to Friendly Fire. Keeping the topics lively and the conversation civil, this is Friendly Fire with Stu Kurds on The Voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. We're back with Friendly Fire. You know, this is the last Friendly Fire before summer begins, 20. I think June 21st, summer, or June 20th, June, summer's here, although it seems light so late now that it's close. Seems like we're right there. Always feels a little bit bad to me because as soon as summer begins, days start to get shorter. That doesn't seem to quite add up to me that that's how that is. <laughs> but anyway, Dan Albert's here for Stu Kearns. I'm substituting for Stu. Pastor Stu will be back next week. I sure appreciate Pastor Stu letting me substitute for him, and I also appreciate KLIN for hosting local shows like Friendly Fire. Um, they go out of their way. Caleb Henry and the other folks um, really work hard to give us an opportunity to talk with local folks about local radio. That's, a, that's an uncommon characteristic of radios anymore. Um, in, this, in studio with Senator Danielle Conrad, and Senator of Nebraska Legislature, re-elected in 2022, you were originally elected, what, in 1996, or 19, 2006, <laughs> right? That's right. 2006, 2006. at age 29, yeah. you became a Nebraska <laughs> legislator. You ran and won in the 46th district, That's correct? Right. North Lincoln's North fight, 46th, I like okay. to call it. <laughs> Tell me two things. Okay. Why and how'd you win? What brought you there and what caused people to say, yep, you're our senator? What do you think you bring to the table for that? Sure. Well, I think um, hopefully a, a lot of your listeners maybe know my uh, political origin story, and I've had a chance to visit with it about it uh, in various public forums, including on KLIN. But, you know, I got that political spark um, really early in elementary school when Nebraska was a uh, part of 
not only our state history, of course, but our national history. When we had that historic governor's race where Kay Orr and Helen Busalas were running against each other for the top spot in Nebraska, um, I was at home in rural Seward County at my parents' kitchen table. Mel Maines was interviewing the candidates from 10-11. I mean, what an iconic, incredible um, figure wow. in, in Nebraska politics and news. And it, it was just a lightning bolt moment that I, I saw what these incredible women were doing. And I didn't quite yet grasp, of course, all of the, the nuance. But I just, I knew I wanted to do that. So How old, how old were you then, do you think? About fourth grade, maybe. Fourth I think. grade. Fourth or fifth You're here grade, listening maybe. to yeah. Mel Maines and the candidates <laughs> for governor, and they were both women. That's right. First time. Yes, first time in our state's history, okay. first time in our nation's history. So, was it, it the first time it in was, the nation's history? It was Nebraska again. You know, led the way political history. Yeah, absolutely. And so, okay, you're sitting there, fourth grader, listening, sitting there, watching me. it. So, my parents were um, very supportive and foster, fostering this interest. We came to Lincoln. We went to Helen Busalis's campaign headquarters. I decided that she was my candidate. We got all the swag. I went back home. I walked my section and put up yard signs. All of as my, a fourth grader. As a fourth grader, all of my neighbors who were like farmers and Republicans were so sweet to their little neighbor. I followed everything I could about the campaign. My candidate lost, unfortunately, but. Then we had a chance meeting when we were doing some shopping in Lincoln, and the way my mom likes to tell the story, I was speechless for the first and last time when I saw Helen Busalis in the store. So she explained that I had volunteered on the campaign. We made arrangements. She came out to my country school, and we had Helen Busalis Day, and we talked about government and politics and public service, and that sparked a friendship and a mentorship over the course of decades, we wrote letters to each other. She wrote a letter for me when I started law school. She was with me when I kicked off my first campaign for the legislature. So she was my mentor and a very special friend and inspiration, as I know she was for many women across Nebraska and young women. Um, Can you remember the characterization, uh, uh, the character that she presented that made you say, she's my candidate? You know, I think it was probably a confluence of different um, factors and combinations. But if any of your listeners were lucky enough to get to spend time with Helen when she was on the city council or mayor or see her in public life in so many incredible leadership capacities, I think a couple of things probably really jumped out to me. One, her energy. Um, two, her brilliance. And um, additionally, she was so present, Dan. She was just so present. When you talked to Helen, you felt like you were the only person in the world. That, you know, warmth and intensity was, you know, squarely just in her gaze and in her heart as you were talking through issues. You never felt, even though she was so important, like she was looking around the room to find somebody more important to talk to or a better use of her time. She was so authentic in terms of her really generous, warm approach. And it just it just absolutely resonated with me, just her her energy and, and how she carried herself. At that time and as you grew to become a first legislature, what you think can you can you recall what you thought being a legislator would be like? What did you see yourself doing? Sure. I'm, and what I'm going to do is compare it to what you did in this 88 
day session that you just came out of. What was your view of being a legislator? You know, I had a a pretty good understanding. Of course, it's very different once you get on the other side of the glass. But, you know, I had followed the Nebraska legislature so closely as a political science student, as somebody who had worked on a host of different issue and candidate campaigns, as a close observer of the news and You know, when I started my career as a baby lawyer at Nebraska Appleseed, I helped to build their public policy program. So I was at the legislature, you know, for a couple of years before I decided to run myself, you know, testifying at hearings, helping to craft legislation, watching the process, strategizing with senators. And um, I felt, you know, just so much warmth in terms of the leaders that were there and helping me kind of get started And I got a really good understanding of the issues and the process. So when term limits hit Nebraska and Senator Dave Landis was term limited after decades of incredible service, you know, I thought, I think I think I could do this. I can throw my hat in the ring. And and I think, you know, I have the relationships and the knowledge um, both from a campaign perspective, but also from a service perspective. I think I could really hit the ground running to be a strong voice and I think that that particular experience resonated with North Lincoln voters when I was out on the campaign trail. You know, I worked really, really hard. I love going door to door and connecting with people. That's actually one of my favorite things. I know a lot of candidates kind of um, dread that part, but I get my energy from people and I love the ideas that people share. And I think it's such an incredible honor when people will take time out of their busy days to tell you what's on their mind and invite you into their experiences for their work or their family or their community. So I take that as a sacred trust. And, you know, I loved being able to serve in the Nebraska legislature for eight years. I sought a seat on the powerful appropriations committee. I was there all eight years and I became perhaps best known for my work, not only on successful efforts to help working families succeed in the economic justice realm, like raising the minimum wage and expanding child care access, but also then for some of my defensive work, which I was ultimately unsuccessful on in terms of abolition of the death penalty or fighting for reproductive justice. But I think, you know, taking a professional, principled, credible approach um, helped to build a record help to demonstrate that the Nebraska legislature doesn't speak with one voice on contentious issues and illustrated to my colleagues that even though we may see those tough issues from a different perspective, I'm going to come forward in a credible, thoughtful way um, to advance my, my position without damaging our institution or our relationship so that we can keep figuring out how to work together on the next issue on the agenda or the next issue on the horizon. During those eight years, that first mm-hmm. set of eight years, 2006 to 2014, I suspect, well, how would you characterize 49 senators getting together for 90 days? What was their relationship? What was, what was the inside look? Were you friends? Were you? We were absolutely friends. Yes. Yeah, it was, it was very warm and very collaborative. Um, I will tell you, you know, of course, we've always had strong state leaders with a host of different styles, different personalities, different backgrounds, different positions on the issues. But what I found so special when I entered the legislature, it was this very unique position because there was about half of 
us that were new, and there were about half of the returning season senators who, who had been there for, you know, years and years and years. And they really showed us the ropes. They really mentored us to say, bring the fresh perspective and new energy, but here's the inflection points. Here's how you protect the institution. Here's how you navigate um, tricky situations. And what I found was really so striking and so true, even senators who disagreed with my position on an issue didn't want to see me fail from an institutional perspective. Now, that, so I might not get their vote at the end of the day on a particular issue that I was working on or strategy, but they didn't want to see any individual member fail. We were in it together in terms of being successful stewards of the state interest. And that interest uh, was a priority yes. to be stewards of the state? Yes. So even though you and I might disagree as across the hall of the senators, right. protecting the institution and the work we had to do was a, a bigger priority. Absolutely. Absolutely. I remember you know, a lot of private conversations with senators I admired across the political spectrum when they'd say something like, wow, that bill you brought was really smart. Let's figure out how to get it out. Or, wow, you went a little bit too hard in that hearing and it was out of step with our political culture. Maybe think about approaching it like this the next time this issue comes up. And of course, I bristled a little bit as a strong personality to take that feedback. But then I also, you know, had enough, I think, humility and enough knowledge to know that they were providing accountability and feedback out of love. Um, it wasn't um, out of criticism or from a negative perspective. They were trying to teach me how to be as strong as I could be um, to do the work that we needed to do together. And that experience was so formative and invaluable. And, you know, as we've seen successive classes enter the Nebraska legislature and we lose more and more of that institutional knowledge and experience and approach, it just makes it harder um, to bring that lens forward. So, um, now would you trace that back to um, only being able to operate for eight years? Yeah, absolutely. So, term limits has been an unfortunate event. I think it definitely hurts our institution, particularly in Nebraska, because we only have the one house. Other states that have term limits see more of a shift between their lower and upper house on the state level so that they don't um, lose the institutional knowledge. And, and that means both digging into the substantive issues like ag policy or economic policy or education policy or criminal justice reform and a knowledge of the mechanics in the process and the relationships. So you really need those three huge areas of um, knowledge to and experience to come together to be really effective at serving the people. And so when you only have eight years to get up to speed on all of those different things, um, it's, it's just harder. But term limits are here, I think, for the foreseeable future. Nebraska voters have been clear about that. My friend Senator Dover from Norfolk has put forward a constitutional amendment to look not at abolishing term limits, but perhaps um, doing a modification so that people could get a little bit more time under their belt, um, but that still be restricted in terms of ability to serve for, you know, many, many years. But I, I do think that 
term limits, voter suppression, gerrymandering, those kinds of really significant influences in our politics have helped to fuel the toxicity in our politics. And I think that's a disservice to democracy. You know, when I bring this full circle to my first comments when we started the show today, um, institutional knowledge, keeping the institution a priority, keeping the effects. I think when I was at the school board, some of the members, mm -hmm. some of the people from the community wanted that to end because mm -hmm. they saw that that friendship that we all brought to the right. board member says, oh, you guys are all colluding together oh, okay. instead of <laughs> we're, we're outside of you. So you're being friends is a disservice to us. That's how I, it, I felt. You guys, don't you go to the bar afterwards? Yeah, well, we do. <laughs> well, but yeah, but I bet you really do the meeting there. You could hear this kind of, you're not doing the people's business in a transparent way. We hear that word transparent right. all the time right now. We know you're hiding it. When we return to Friendly Fire, I want to get into that issue a little bit more. 2006 to 2014, you saw this as a highly collaborative group, yes. Senator Conrad. But after this last session, you told uh, Don Walton, I think this is a quote you had, we have nowhere to go but up, and we need to go up together. That's I want right. you to I want you to tell me about that comment after your 88-day session that you just finished and why that's happened, what sort of the changes from 2014 till now, and what do you think we can do about it? And we'll talk about that when we return on Friendly Fire. <laughs> Interesting topics to kick off your weekend. Looking at the news with an eye of faith. Friendly Fire with Stu Kearns. 1499.3 KLIN. Back with Friendly Fire. This is Dan Alberts on this beautiful Saturday morning. Substituting for Pastor Stu Kearns um, in Omaha this week at CWS Tournament. Senator, you have a team you're four in CWS? Well, I, I, I'm always rooting for Nebraska first and foremost, yeah, of, of course. course. That might not be that helpful when it comes to the College World Series this year. But I've always enjoyed having a chance to pop up there and reconnect with friends that come, friends that come back to Nebraska for CWS. But this year, I, I am not sure if we're going to have a chance to make it up. But it's really cool that our state gets to host Gets that. to host that. Yeah. And yeah. That, what a great area that is up here. Reminds Beautiful. Me, I mean, we have the Haymarket and Lincoln, which has just been transferred over the years. Yes. I can remember when Laszlo's first went down there, people <laughs> yeah. said, what are you going to down there for? My God, that's a that's a desolate place, yeah. dangerous. You're exactly right. But I, I would put those downtowns, those special spaces in Omaha and Lincoln, I'd put those up against any big city, any day of the week. I mean, great restaurants, vibrant um, social activities, beautiful streetscapes. I mean, it's it's really cool to see that come alive. You know, Lincoln now has new uh, an air, new airline that's come in, and it's I supposed to be taking us to cities for enjoyment. Right. right. So uh, I was just saying to the airline company, one of their managers, I said, "Oh yeah, it's great that you bring in Orlando people to Lincoln for that's a destination right. point." <laughs> I said, "What perfect. do you mean?" <laughs> I said, well, you are going from Orlando to Lincoln, That's right? right? Both oh, ways. you mean yeah. the other Oh, you thought it was the other way. Well, not people in Lincoln. Anyway, Senator, thank yeah. you for being with us. We got This hour always goes really fast. So fast. I want, what I want to focus on is, is the difference between what you described in your legislative experience in, between 2006 and 2014 mm -hmm. 
with the Nebraska legislature when you were mentored and you guys mm-hmm. were friends and did the people's business. And then this last session where you left and said things to Don Walton, where you, I think you said something like, we've hit it low. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've, we should never return to this. Right. I think a majority of us don't want to return to what happened in this 88-day session. That's right. Two things. First of all, how did it go from 2014 to 2023 in this way? What happened? Why did we change? And how do we get out of it if we should? Sure. Sure. Yeah. So I've had a chance to talk about this on the floor of the legislature and with neighbors and um, with other stakeholders in our our public life and in our democracy together, little d, of course. Um my, I think, kind of understanding about how the dynamics have shifted so quickly and kind of contributed to the toxicity in our politics, which really is the driving force for some of the acrimony that people saw on display in the most recent legislative session is, of course, there's no one factor. Of course, there's no single silver bullet. But when you look at Things like term limits, when you look at things like gerrymandering, when you look at things like um, voter suppression, when you look at things like the rise of social media and disinformation and misinformation, when you look at, you know, the evisceration of local news, for example, when you look at, um, you know, the dramatic shift in terms of discourse and dialogue um, during the course of the Trump presidency, which has had a tendency, I think, to you know permeate into our, our national, state, and local discourse as well, where you saw in many ways such a disruption um, in terms of norms and in terms of you know kind of how we talk to each other about political issues. And I saw all of these factors, you know, really, coming together. And I saw these storm clouds gathering on the Nebraska political horizon. And you could see, you know, the the tenor and the tone of the legislature kind of kind of shifting, kind of slipping um, in recent years and becoming a bit more contentious and less collegial. And I, I was so concerned about that. And then your listeners, of course, will remember we had that that very, very acrimonious gubernatorial primate, primary between um, Brent Lindstrom, Senator Lindstrom, and um, Regent Pillen and, and Charles Herbster. And it just, it felt to me, and I know it felt the same way to a lot of other Nebraska voters, including lifelong Republicans, that the tenor and tone of that race was just out of step with who we are as Nebraskans and how we talk to each other. And to see this kind of like further polarization that's coming um, from the factions that our founding fathers warned us about and, you know, the ever increasing rise and shift to the further right and the further left for partisan political interests um, that really is is kind of tearing us further apart and tearing us at our, our seams in terms of our public discourse. I, I was dismayed, but... I knew that in order to be authentic to the lessons that I'm instilling in my children, if you see an issue at home, if you see an issue at school, if you see an issue in your community and you think you can do something about it, 
it's your obligation and your duty to step forward and try. And so I saw all of this happening and I thought if by some chance I could use my experiences to try and make a positive difference difference on a po- on a, a broader scale, I have to try. So I threw my hat back into electoral politics. I loved getting out on the campaign trail. I was honored to be elected for the third time. And, you know, I think there's just no doubt bringing that legislative experience, that life experience, that, you know, open-minded, principled approach um, to the legislature this year enabled me to be really effective in serving my constituents and keeping an open dialogue between state senators at all different points on the political spectrum. The other thing that I think probably contributed to some success in being able to help navigate those really challenging dynamics is that I'm an optimist. I'm always going to bet on Nebraska. Um, And I love people. And you have to love the people to lead the people, right? And whether it's a friend from Western Nebraska who's a staunch Republican or whether it's a friend from Omaha, who's more progressive than I am. Um, I I love their ideas and their energies, um, and I want to learn more about how we can work together. And I want to, you know, have an opportunity to learn about their experiences and what's happening in their communities. So I think bringing, you know, just a genuine, authentic energy and zeal and warmth into those personal relationships without putting up barriers or defensiveness for like, oh gosh, we disagree about this issue, so I'm not going to talk to you. Like, that just seems ridiculous to me. I mean, whether it's at your kitchen table or whether it's at your boardroom or in your schoolroom, screaming and yelling doesn't fix problems. Um, You got to stay in relationship, you got to roll up your sleeves, and you got to be open-minded to a different perspective. Um, you know, and figure out, oh, maybe there's that little nugget of common ground there, a little area of consensus. So let's grab onto that. Let's hold that. Let's get that muscle memory. And then maybe we find some more. Or maybe if we can't find some more, cool. Well, we still have that one issue that we can talk about and work on. And, you know, I want my colleagues to give me respect in terms of my ability to represent my district. And, respect for my life experiences and knowledge that I bring to the legislature. But I'm only going to gain that respect if I give that respect. And so whether my friend or my neighbor is a MAGA Republican or an AOC kind of Democrat, I'm going to give that respect because they're trying to do something important to them and their constituents in the public arena. We might not agree But I respect that and the sacrifice that they're making and the authentic viewpoint that they're bringing forward. You know, the toughest thing about doing an interview with you, Senator, is trying to to slip in a break. I'm a seasoned (laughs) filibuster. (laughs) We'll be right back with Friendly Fire for a couple minutes, and we're going to ask the senator, what's the future? What's next? What do you hope for next year in in the Nebraska legislature when we return on Friendly Fire? Bringing you local voices to break down the news of the week. Friendly Fire with Stu Kurds on the voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. We're back on Friendly Fire. This is Dan Alberts with Senator Danielle Conrad, a neighbor of mine, a parent of 
children that come over to our house. Two so gorgeous in, kids. In, yeah, full, yeah. in full disclosure, we're friends. <laughs> but, Senator, I've always admired your work. Thank you very Thank much you. for being on the Friendly Fire. In the last minute or two, you're going to be back in the legislature for the 24th session. That's right. 60-day session. What's your best hope? My best hope is that we have a very constructive session together in 2024. And I think we can do that. I really honestly believe that. And, and I think that the solution is multifaceted. One, we have to work harder in the interim. We can't just go our separate ways and um, come back together in the fall for a couple of hearings and show up in January. We're going to have to do the work together, building relationships and going deeper on the issue, the issues more consistently really in a more meaningful way. And I'm excited to roll up my sleeves and keep doing that. Um, the other thing that I think we need to do is to really figure out where those core common ground issues are in addressing ne Nebraska's number one challenges, and that's workforce development. And underneath that umbrella, the solutions attendant to addressing workforce development there's so much consensus and common ground. I'm thrilled about that. Let's tease out education and job training and child care. Those are issues that impact absolutely every district. They do not belong to one side of the political spectrum. And I think people, now that we've cleared the decks on some of this acrimonious kind of social divisiveness, let's move forward and keep those goals as our North Star. And let's also figure out how not to have the very short session, the very precious time that we have before us in 2024, devolve into a 60-day rules fight. I think if we stay focused on thoughtful issues, that will help. I think if we do the work on relationships, that will help. I think if we are serious in purpose, that will help. And um, I'm very hopeful, talking to political leaders across the spectrum, People do not want to see a repeat. We want to reset and realign with Nebraska values. And so, yeah, it was pretty bad this year. It was pretty challenging. But we still found a way to deliver on a lot of important issues. We were able to protect the institution as a whole, overall. And, you know, I'm just, I'm never going to give up on my beloved Nebraska. And I'm never going to give up on Nebraskans. And the only way we're going to get out of it is together. So we got to stay together to get out of it and move upward. And the good news is, Dan, I think we're headed towards higher ground. I, I, <laughs> well, according to you, we've been to the low point. That's so right. we have one way to go. You're Senator, thank you very much. Yeah. I'm going to close with this. When I was growing up, my dad, when I'd say, why don't we go on a vacation? He says, because I live in Nebraska. I love to be on the farm, and I don't have to go anyway else. There you okay. Go. And he said, I, I love Nebraska because there's farmers. There's big red football. Mm -hmm. Um we're hardworking, That's right. uh, and we have a single house and then, then a house of the people that I'm proud of. Um, last session, I'm not sure he would have been as proud, and I'm really glad to hear you say that maybe it'll become a bright light for us as Nebraskans in 2024. Thank you, Senator, for Thank being you, with Dan. us. It's so fun. And <laughs> on Friendly Fire, Pastor Stu will be back next week. In the meantime, think about it talk about it. We'll see you next week.